Hi, everyone, and thanks for coming back. Today's episode is on the 1947 Christmas classic, Miracle on 34th Street. As always, you don't have to watch the movie in order to listen to the episode, but we always recommend it as we will never stray away from spoilers. So let's just get rolling. I'm your host, Audrey. And I'm your co-host, Sheree. So sit back, relax, and please don't silence your phone while we check your cinematic pulse. Great way to open it, Sheree, coughing right into the mic. You, mm, I hate myself. <laughs> That's fine. It's just a sound test. What are you talking I'm about? not professional. We're not getting paid yet. We're not professional anything. Wait, we got five bucks. I was going to say, fake news. I think we do get paid now. That's it. That's right. We are officially professional podcasters because we got paid to do what we do. Thank That's you, it. subscriber on Patreon. You know who you are. We love you. You know who Number you are. Number one fan. Actually, we, we, we could do a shout out. Shout out. Because Why not? that's 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 what people like, do. They shout out, out their Patreon supporters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, shout out to Katie B. She is our very, very first Patreon subscriber. So. What up, sis? Right? Y'all missing out. She's in on the ground floor and y'all are peasants. So... <laughs> Don't be pe- but she's Wait, the CEO. don't be peasants, be patrons. There you go. Oh my gosh. Snap, mm-hmm. snap, snap, mm-hmm. snap, snaps everywhere. <laughs> and cut. <laughs> okay, so um, for one thing, it took me a minute to write the summary for this movie because this plot is not like straightforward. Like no, this is no, not like no your film. basic plot. No films from this era. All these films no, are which, cut. Like, no, they're not cut and paste, but there's always, I swear, there's always a scene in a courtroom. There's always some <laughs> crazy smush-faced mm-hmm. kiss. There's, <laughs> there's always a shoehorned romance. There's always something. There's angry men, a courtroom, and some kind of kiss in all these films. Mm. Mm. You know, I can see that. I can see that. Oh, speaking of angry men, that makes me want to uh, watch and talk about 12 Angry Men. Great film. Um, my brain, okay, so, side, sidebar, um, I love that film, I love that play, we, uh, read that when I was in high school, and then eventually did it as a high school drama production, but, um, my high school was not, uh, did not have a lot of people, for instance, there were 26 people in my graduating class. What? Um, so, what, yeah, exactly, so when we tried to there put There were hundreds on, in mine. Nope, 26. <laughs> um, when we tried to put on this production, obviously we did not we did not have 12 boys who were interested in playing who were interested in being in theater because at that age theater's lame for a lot of kids. So, uh, instead of 12 Angry Men, we put on a production called 12 Angry Jurors. I think you told me this recently actually because I remember this. I remember there really? was a title change. Yeah. Uh, well, it was excellent. Um, it actually, was I want to say we actually talked about tears. this on a previous podcast. <laughs> No way. I think no. so. You're from, having a deja vu moment from of this moment. <laughs> maybe it wasn't on a podcast, but I know we've talked about this. Probably. Off off um, off the microphone. Off off. Uh cinematic pulse offline. Mm-hmm. What what was the name of that? Yeah, that was it, right? I think I like it was. That. Yeah, offline. 
I can see, I can see the banner that I'm going to create now. Okay, so after um, writing an initial summary and then being like, that's way too long, <laughs> um, I was able to, to condense it to, in a pinch, Doris Walker, a practical divorcee, hires a nice old man to play Santa Claus at Macy's. His sanity is called into question when he claims that he really is Kris Kringle. In an effort to bring some magic back into the lives of Doris and her daughter Susan, their neighbor, Fred Gailey, agrees to represent Kris in court and prove that he really is the one and only Santa Claus. Yes. Thank you. That took me so long. The first one was like twice the length of that because there's oh, no. so much that goes on in this movie. Yeah, and honestly, I here's the thing. You could leave out a lot of stuff that happens in this film and it would still be a good film um honestly the whole uh, well no okay no let me backtrack what were you gonna say like the side thing about alfred no actually i love alfred he's not necessary but i thought but he is though what do you he mean? is though because it's his conversations with the that's true Macy's he's a psychologist he, yes. that make chris angry mm-hmm. yeah he's a plot device he, he is a is... plot device um actually mm-hmm. i'm gonna get into that later but I feel like okay. <laughs> they didn't have to commit him to a hospital. I think all that could have been taken out. But there's a scene when he's in the hospital, I think, that is very, very important to this film. Is actually, I think, one of the major plot points to this film is obviously believing. Um, but I think we'll get into that later. Um, but yes, I think your summary was really good. But there are things in this film where I'm like, did they need all that? But then I have to remember the times and how films used to be made versus how they're made now. And, you know, mm-hmm. I have to tamper down my expectations just a little bit. Temper down, whatever the word is. Yeah, the, the writing style. This is like a history of film episode almost, you oh, know, sure. because the the writing style for film was so much different. The the overall plots were were much more involved. It was it was very much more like like reading a book, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you have all of these scenes that all kind of play into each other. Um, it's kind of like what you and I talked about, about like translating Harry Potter from book to film, Yeah, that you have all these extra scenes that like cause things later in the plot. And then when you translate it to movie to save time, you maybe have all those things happen at once. Or instead of like several things, you just have one big thing that leads up to that, a plot point. Right. And or you when control you're off, delete it, movies, don't use it at all. Right. <laughs> or you don't use it at all. Um, and in older stuff like this, it very much is written like a book. You're, you're not condensing things to appease your audience. Um, in Because I feel like in modern film, you can jump from one scene to the next without really explaining to your viewers how that wound, like how that scene change came about, how those characters got to that point, why those characters are at that point. There's a lot of things that you can gloss over in film. You know what big thing between then and now with modern films is? Modern films are Mm. like 30 minutes to a whole hour longer. Yeah, which is so weird. Around 90 minutes in modern films. Mm Mm-hmm. Are, I think, honestly, I think to even qualify for an Oscar, they have to be a minimum of two hours for um, non-animated films, so live production. Interesting. I did um, not know that. I believe they have to be at least two hours, I think, to even be nominated. But don't quote me on that, because it depends on the category, because you have to have short film, and, you know, all, there's all kinds of different court categories, but depending on the category you want, like, if you're having an, an actual motion picture production and you don't want it to be mm-hmm. categorized as a short film... I think it has to be a minimum of two hours, but don't quote me on that. That's interesting. Um, this is just, again, 
the Academy of Motion Picture. It, I don't know if that qualifies over like the Golden Globes and Screen Actors Guild. Yeah, but the, I don't know. That's just, again, history of film. That's just so interesting that while our writing techniques shortened, our movies lengthened. Um, because this is the opposite. You know, this is a shorter film, but so much happens in it. All of the scenes are directly interlinked with each other. One thing happens in one scene that directly leads into the next scene. Like, you always know exactly why characters are in one place or another. Um, like, I was watching, I rewatched The Hunger Games with, with Wesley recently after seeing Songbirds and Snakes. We were like, well, let's watch all the Hunger Games movies again. And I, and I kept noticing instances where I'm like, okay, I know how those characters got from point A to point B because I read the book and I, I understand the backstory. But in the movie, you're just able to jump from scene to scene and like right. suddenly Katniss is on a ship going somewhere and it doesn't explain it. You just accept it because you're watching the and movie honestly, and you're, just, you're in the universe. I hate to even talk badly about films I enjoy, but I God don't, forbid. <laughs> I really don't like the last two Hunger Games because they are so, I feel like they are unnecessarily long. Like they did not have to split that last book into two films. Now I, you got to remember this came on the heels of like the Harry Potter right. Well, Harry Potter was know, the first one that did it. Things. It's like, and I think mm-hmm. that's actually a big reason why people don't like um, part one of Deathly Hallows because it's like you said, Harry, Ron, and Hermione are just going point A to point B to point A to point B, and they move the plot along with radio, which is smart, which is smart, but it's like it's British is what it it's is. It's British, <laughs> and I remember my mom. She's like, "Man, this movie ain't really going nowhere." I was like, "I know, mom. I know." But I also yeah, tell people, I was like, that's, that was the book as well. But the book does a better mm-hmm. job of immersing you into the whole story where the movie has two, two and a half hours to give you 50% of the book. Actually, I would say 65% mm-hmm. of the book because part two is like, it, part two starts off fast and it kind of keeps going. There's not a lot of slowing yeah. down when you get to that, which is great for, you know, the action parts of the film. And I, I mean... I don't know. I, like I, I think you about wind up, you wind up drowning in it almost. Yeah, and I think all the time because I recently again I haven't watched Harry Potter a long time and I was watching part two recently and I was like, man, I have so much respect for part two as a film now. Like I I could sit and actually really dissect, especially like how they filmed it and how it. Ugh, I I need to I need to stop because we're not there. <laughs> but there's a scene where I'm like, oh my gosh, the director. I see what you did, man. I see what you did. I see how you're telling stories mm. with camera movement. I'm like. Mm. So I, I used to, who was it, David Yates, who did the last four or so? I, I used so, to yeah. not like right. some of his filmmaking, but now that I'm older and have, you know, I've learned more about British. film, I can see some of the stuff he did and I can appreciate it. But again, I, I feel like, especially films like these, they're, they're cramming so much into these older films. And now we have mm-hmm. been put into this age of film where... Sometimes we're still cramming things into films, looking at you across the Spider-Verse. Um, <laughs> hey, they're above it. I, they can do whatever they want. <laughs> you, you, They can do no wrong, but I was like, that's a lot to be putting into. An, oh, again, I digress. But you're, you're <laughs> correct. I'm going on a tangent. I don't need to. But you're right. I love it. it it's They put so much into these films back in the 40s, 50s, the, the beginnings of the golden age of Hollywood, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. And now, well, and me as like a writer and and an intellectual about screenplay writing and and literature, it made me so happy. Like it tickled my brain. 
I'm like, there's not an ounce of this movie plot that I don't feel like is necessary. In they some don't capacity waste or a doesn't moment. move the plot along. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like every single scene is not. It's it's not wasted. It moves the plot forward it, in one way or another. Could it have been done differently to maybe condense some of the plot points so you could do other stuff? Absolutely. But it's it, it's basically straight from book to movie. If there were if there were a book, which it's not, it was a screenplay. I, and but I think that's one of the if things, there were, this is what it would feel like. That's one of the things where. Hold on, let me recollect my thoughts. What was I going to say? Well, um, and uh, as you hold on to that, I meant to ask you what your first impression of this movie was. <laughs> Since honestly, since I have not watched this film, honestly, I'm after watching. I'm like, I'm not sure that I've ever watched this film. I might be confusing it with really? other films. I think this is honestly the first time I've watched it. Um, I think I've seen Aww. snippets of it with my mom, and it was really cute. But I oh, that's what I was gonna say because this is my point as to the things I don't like is just this is one of those films that you cannot step up and go to the bathroom because if you do, you've missed two scenes, two scenes that are important <laughs> to the plot point. That's what I was gonna mm-hmm. say. There's just so much stuff in it where. I, like, I have to physically pause it. Because sometimes you can stand up and kind of listen to what's happening as you go get a drink from the kitchen. You can't. There's so much happening and so quickly. There's so much happening. If you, like, stop, you will come back and be like, wait a minute, why is Chris in a mental institution? What right. happened? Why what Why is Chris Kringle in the hospital? What happened to this man? Right, like, one second ago, he had kids on his lap at Macy's. And why, what happened? What did I miss? Honestly, um, my favorite characters were Chris Kringle, Alfred, and... Um, what is it, Fred Gailey? They were my Fred favorite characters. I loved them. They were so cute. And honestly, um, they were my favorite characters because they all embodied Santa Claus in a sense. Um, I that was one of my that was one of, that was one of my two notes I made on this film was those three embody Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. And honestly, um, I thought the film was gonna end with Alfred getting to be the next Chris Kringle, and that didn't happen, and I was a little sad. But he, he he embodies what Santa is. And actually, I think Fred Gailey also embodies what Santa is. So mm-hmm. they could all be. I mean, I guess that's part of the film where a lot of people said, I don't care if he's Santa Claus or not. He's great. He's just an old man being nice. Who cares? Mm. Well, it was. I think it was supposed to be that that part of it was supposed to be that, like what I mentioned in the summary of what brings magic back to Susan and Doris um that because of what she's experienced that character she has kind of built walls of reason up around her lives and not only her life her daughters too you know she is depriving her of some of the magic and joy of childhood I mean Susan talks about she can't even play with the other kids because she cannot imagine herself as an animal she's not an animal she's a girl um and so she's not even hanging out with kids her age and and flexing the incredible muscle that is a child's imagination because of the stringency that her her mother has set up around her and so i think chris being santa claus or that that moment that you know you're thinking like oh my gosh is he you're supposed to think there's a little bit of magic about it especially with the movie ending how it does it it's supposed to be like okay, maybe there really is, even to the most logical of mind, maybe there really, really is a Santa Claus who can gift people houses and fly around the world and give presents in a single night, you know? Because that's what they were missing. 
after what they had been through. That's what they were missing. And Doris especially was missing that that childlike wonder and sense of faith that magical things like that are possible, which is why I really love Fred's character. Um, he he could have been done badly and considering the time period um could have been done worse <laughs> um because and I'll, I'll say this because i read this and i wanted to vomit um oh, no. hold on where is this it says I, I wrote it down so according to um imdb the film received a b rating which is morally objectionable in part objectionable in part from the highly influential legion of decency which existed in 1946 <laughs> Because Maureen O'Hara, because Maureen O'Hara played a divorcee. I knew that's what you were gonna say. I knew. And that's I what read you were that, say. and I wanted to throw up. Because part How of the reason why I love this movie as an divorced. adult is because you know what this woman is bomb of for course. 1946. Okay, because that's when this was filmed. It came out in 1947. It was filmed in 1946. This probably a nice apartment, right? This woman owns a nice apartment in in New York City, downtown New York City, where they have the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Outside you can her see the window. Parade from her apartment. <laughs> outside her window. Well, technically outside Fred's window. He has the better view. He's got the front apartment. But, so, and, and, and she can afford that because not only, she doesn't just work at Macy's. She's like a department head. Uh-huh. I think she's like the department of, like, not, I don't think sales, but she must be the department of, like merchandising or PR or something, probably PR or events. But she's a department she might be head. a department head of events because obviously she did the mm-hmm. parade and did all the hiring for that, and then she's in charge of Chris Kringle. Right, that's why I'm thinking like some kind of PR uh-huh. kind of thing where she does like external media relations for Macy's. That's her job in 1946. That is awesome for like women in the workforce and, and <laughs> men they'd be trying to keep like, us women's down civility and liberty right like that's mind-boggling to me and i'm so proud of this movie for casting and writing a character like that i and knew you were gonna say strong because and she independent. was <sighs> but yeah that's knew why it. it got a morally objectionable in part rating <laughs> and, and i want to be like please that, tell me why that's morally objectionable Ugh, i know but but all that to say back to on Fred Gailey's character and <laughs> <laughs> that laugh. God, I turned my mic back down this week. <laughs> um, but then you have Fred Gailey's character, and like he doesn't judge her for that. He he puts absolutely no judgment on her whatsoever. He just sees a woman who has built up walls around herself and around her daughter and wants to help change that and bring some love back into their lives because he likes her and 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 he i mean like it's kind of despicable but kind of funny because he owns up to it in the beginning where he like says the terrible line of like i read somewhere that the surest way to a mother is through the daughter and i'm like that's terrible and then maureen o'hara also says that's terrible (laughs) i honestly sat there for a minute i was like is this cute or is it weird (laughs) <laughs> I know. I know. But then he owns up to it and he's like, I mean, yeah, that was my intent. But also, like, I really do like Susan and I really would like to get to know you. And then he's like a nice guy about it. I so would it was, say like, that. I would say if someone were to have interest in my kid, that that would that would be a turn on. I'd be like, OK, you obviously cared about is, my though. kid. 
to like you're making an effort towards my kid to try and you know work towards me i would say that's cute little right, weird that right. the daughter's in his apartment by herself. Like, Here's you know, the thing. this is the time. That was... That was the time. <laughs> that was one of those things. That was one of those things. Like, I'm watching this movie and I'm like, this would never happen. I was, Chris Kringle I was in the bedroom? Stop. And I was like, Sheree... You better be eating milk and cookies, man. I was like, Sheree, you gotta tone it down. This is the 40s. This is the 40s. Uh, that's what I'm saying. I was watching this movie, and I'm like, I'm trying to imagine, because, you know, this movie was redone in the 90s. We talked about that last week. And I was trying to imagine this movie being redone now. And I'm just thinking, like, there's just elements of this plot that I just don't think we, we as a modern-day audience, would buy. That obviously work for the 40s, but I'm like, if I came home and found my neighbor chilling with my daughter, I would call the police. Because in 2023, there is almost not an instance where I don't already have a relationship with that person. And if I don't, that's gross. And that person should probably go to jail pronto. I'm trying to think right? of ways and how I'm, we would redo this plot. But that's that's not for here or now. You would, I, Well, you would have to establish a relationship with Fred and Doris beforehand. Because if he, if, if you just have Doris come in and he's Because they could be like colleagues or something and he could have met daughter through work or something or he has his own Maybe he represents Macy's like in a, in a, um, consulting capacity or something for the department store, you know, for any like store litigation or that stuff that comes up, you know, maybe they've hired his law firm for something. That's how I would probably put the, those two in each other's paths and then like maybe find out that they're neighbors or whatever. And Yeah. So you would Look have to establish that relationship first. In a modern We're way. fixing it. Yeah. It's not I mean, like it's not like it was broken. Right. It was just written in 1946. Right. <laughs> um I I love this movie to death. I love it because it doesn't it doesn't quite bring tears, um, but it gives me the warm fuzzies at the end of it every time. Who the they cast um who, who remind me of the name for who they cast as Santa if you wrote it down. I know I Edmund looked it up. Gwen. Thank you. Man looks like Chris Kringle. He got a little twinkle in his eye. I don't need though. I mean, a Santa Claus for real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Santa Claus for real. Oh, I love, I love the passion and fervor with which you made that statement. <laughs> I, I, I think I, love I loved the opening. Se- I was sitting there for the whole opening little walking scene. I was like, "What is happening?" Because it was giving me early filmmaking, just cinematography of cities, just cityscapes. I was mm-hmm. like, "What are we doing?" And then we, I we then really finally, did start movies like that, didn't mm-hmm. we? It was just you would just get motion. landscape, cityscape, mm-hmm. yeah, because you needed to roll the credits at the beginning of the movie, so you needed just one, one or several long shots in the background while you rolled credits. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, "Where is this going?" And then he walks in front of that store, and he's like, "Oh no, 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 the deer are wrong." And I was like, "Oh, that's what it Bruh, was." Okay, we're we're following that Santa. Part, mm. I'm like 19 or yeah, 1946 versus 2023. Like though, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I have worked in retail. I have worked in customer service. I have paid my dues. And those people make me irate because I'm just like, I'm trying to do my job. And you're trying to tell me that the reindeer are backwards. That poor shop owner just wants to do his job. (laughs) 
You got you got the old man tapping on the glass of a store that's not even open mm. yet, going, "Let me in! I have to fix your display." I'm and like, I'm nah. like, "If that was happening, I'm in the police. You can leave." Hard no. But like, I'm sure you're a nice old man, but in 2023, it's a 50-50 chance that you're a nice old man or bonkers. Let me kill the beginning shot a little more for you. So that... No! (laughs) So the the first shot where you get Chris Kringle's face, he's looking straight. He's not looking down at the display. And I'm like, what? Because the man isn't even standing up at that point. He's just looking straight into through the glass. But, but of I course, hate that. You, you need the straight shot of his face so that you can see what your character looks like. I hate before it. You, you know what they could have the done? Scene. Brought the camera down and he could have been looking down. Get out of here. I didn't like that, that shot. That doesn't make it. But you can't do that because I, well, I'm thinking like 1946, like all cameras were on tripods back then. Listen, I've said what I said. You, there, you didn't have freehand cam back then. <laughs> Not unless you were using like a Super 8 camera. Ma'am, they be moving these cameras around. <laughs> they could have put him on a uh, on a stool looking down. I don't care. Could have been done. Uh, okay, you know what? Speaking of early filmmaking techniques, the beginning of this movie with the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade was actually filmed in New York City during the 1946 Thanksgiving Day Parade. I was like, there's no other way they could do it. It has to they be did done it. like that. It was, it was a live parade which meant that they had to have cameras everywhere which then also means that fred and susan are sitting watching the live macy's parade through his window and having their conversation i don't think so about the clown there's no way they did it that's how they did it and they had to have the timing down to a t yes yep looked it up today huh i was gonna say there's no way i thought that would have been a pre-recorded they had behind them on a screen nope no, they really did film it during the Thanksgiving Day Parade and had to have the timing down so good because reshoots were impossible. That's impressive on both the... Isn't it, though? Um, Oh, no, Natalie Wood. I'm like, who girl. was their shot coordinator? Mm-hmm. That's smart. Right? Doesn't that just blow your mind? That's crazy. That seems unreal. Doesn't it, though? I'm like, that seems so difficult. Like, you would have needed to coordinate... With That's the crazy people too. to get the parade schedule ahead of time and then practice those shots to get the timing down. Because I sat there and watched this scene. I was like, oh, that's definitely got to be like a pre-record they have behind them. It's I, if nope. it's wow, that's impressive. That's very impressive. I know. Isn't that mind boggling? Like, I want to go back and watch the movie again just to watch the real 1946. It doesn't even look real. That's crazy. I know. Not crazy. Also, Edmund Gwen uh, played, really did play the Macy Santa in the parade the year prior. That's cool. How cute is that? It's very cute. I know. Um, so we were talking about before, I think we were talking about like, eight, we were talking about age of people and stuff and like when people were born, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I looked up when Edmund Gwen was born. Man was born in 1877. Dang. Like, I know that he's old, and I know that this movie was born, or more was born. I know that this movie was made in 1946, but it's just mind-boggling to me that I am still actively watching a movie with a cast member who was born when Sherlock Holmes was being written, okay? You're not wrong. He was 69 when this was filmed then. Right? Isn't that bananas? It just, I don't know. It's moments like that where, like, I have, like, a, 
out of body experience a little bit and I'm just like you just see how time how short time really is all of a sudden and how recent history really is in moments like that it's so weird time that's so weird. crazy to me but in the though but I'm I'm glad that I am still watching this movie because I, I looked at it you know my mom my mom was not born in, in 1947 or anything when this movie came out. My mom was not born for like a solid 20, 25 years later. My dad um, was kind of close though. <laughs> but that tells me that like my mom, my mom's mom would have been the one watching this movie and then raising her daughter to watch it, you know, all those years later. Just like, you know, we raise our kids on the Disney movies that we watched growing up and, you know, are keeping them alive. Well, now this movie is technically going to be alive for a third generation of people who can enjoy it. And I, I love that. The classics that. don't die, man. I, I like, right? This movie, um, I think, was the only movie in history for an actor to win Best Actor for playing Santa Claus. That's awesome. As he should. Right? I don't know. It's just mind-boggling. And I'm glad that I'm still watching it because, I mean... It, it like obviously it's dated but it's not so dated that it makes it completely irrelevant in 2023 and you can watch it and still enjoy it without having to make too many excuses for like oh well it was the 40s you know well it's a theme that doesn't die believing in santa claus or believing in a higher power or just believing in yourself belief of something mm -hmm. that's external that you can't technically see or touch or feel that's not a theme that's ever going to go away so this is definitely gonna be one of those timeless films especially because christmas isn't going anywhere christmas is here forever mm -hmm. right yeah we're never gonna stop celebrating christmas unless something terrible terrible happens mm -hmm. and you best believe my ghost will come back to haunt all of you guys like the ghost <laughs> <of Christmas past>. <laughs> <sighs> y'all ever stop celebrating christmas what, if, what would you wear from as a ghost of christmas past something ridiculous like I'm everyone always ugly sees sweater. victorian no, heck no. Everyone always sees, like, Victorian ghosts or something. I'm gonna come back wearing my most dramatic free people outfit. I've got this really... You you saw it. It was in you my Anakin video. You are the ghost of this Christmas past, and you're coming in with free yes. people? Man, I want I'm some gonna holiday be spirit. Dramatic. I want some holiday spirit. <laughs> no. Get out I'm of here. the ghost of Christmas past. I'm here to scare the bejeebers out of you because you're not celebrating I'm wearing Christmas. tinsel, like a reindeer, like, Santa hat with, like, little we, reindeer hooves. Can we write this movie, please? <laughs> like some twisted future version of Christmas, a uh, Christmas Carol, where people stop celebrating Christmas, and so weird ghosts from the past. Yeah, come I'm wearing back a tinsel boa. Them. I'm wearing some like Elton John <laughs> Christmas style like glasses. Just come back like it's like bougie Aretha Franklin kind of kind of style. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm, it's gonna I'm, be fun. I'm digging it. Just come back looking like Lady Gaga, but Christmas version. Oh, oh, uh, that's ex you know what? Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm gonna have Lady Gaga design it. Like, forget the meat dress. You're just, like, wearing a gingerbread dress. No, it's gonna be made of, like, real pine needles. It's gonna be awful and great. It's gonna be awful and great and really itchy. I'm gonna smell real good, though. Uh, um, okay, okay, so... Talking about writing and how we were talking about how this movie is, like, kind of like a book on screen. Um, I was looking up some of the facts about the writing in the movie, and I you want to hear something really, really sweet? Yeah. Okay. So, do you remember when the the lady brings her, her daughter that she just adopted um, over to Santa, and, and she's like, well, she... 
I'm sorry she's Dutch. She doesn't speak any English, but she insisted that you could understand her. And then they have that cute little conversation in Dutch. Mm-hmm. Okay, so to set the stage for you, like, this was shortly after World War II, right? And so apparently back back then during, like, the invasion of Holland, a lot of children were then displaced and wound up in orphanages. And a lot of them actually got brought over to the United States and were adopted by people because of everyone, you know, dying or being imprisoned during the invasion of Holland of the Germans. And so that is most likely what this girl's situation is, is her family got completely upended during World War II, and she's been adopted by an American family. And so I looked up, because I wanted to know, like, what's the conversation that they're having in Dutch? And the conversation that they're having is Kris Kringle in Dutch asks her what she wants for Christmas, And the little girl says she doesn't want anything because she got her gift when she was adopted by her new mother. Aw, that's sweet. I know. Like, that that brought tears to my eyes Mm -hmm. and warmth to my heart. I even meant to go back and look that up later was what their conversation was. But I'm glad. I knew you would I can always count on you to do that. I looked it up. And I was like, "Mm, that's better than anything that I could have imagined. How cute is that? And they they started singing. (laughs) <laughs> um the other one that i looked up because i'm like who the heck is he talking about um the the dr pierce from like the old folks home in great neck um who comes down and talks to doris um where chris was living and he's talking about um you know chris's if, if chris has a delusion that he's santa claus it's a delusion for good and he's not going to become violent or anything and then he talks about there's a, that restaurant owner in hollywood who believed himself to be a russian prince do you remember this conversation? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but he, he can't remember the guy's name. So this is a real life person. And he was, they're kind of like poking fun at this person in the script. Um, it's a reference to a guy whose name was Michael Romanoff. And he was the owner of a restaurant called Romanoff's in Hollywood, California. And it was a popular hangout for movie stars at the time during the 40s. And he really was a guy who believed steadfastly that he was a member of the Russian royal family. And he owned a restaurant in Hollywood that that movie stars would go hang out at. But was he? But I don't know. Probably not. Probably not. Because they all died. They all died. Yeah. (laughs) Spoiler alert. We got got a request to do an episode on Anastasia. And you best believe I will give you a history lesson on the Romanovs. Isn't it? It was only in recent years where they actually found out that the bloodline actually did die that night. Correct? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, they did actually eventually find Anastasia. Spoiler (laughs) alert. Yeah, sorry. the movie ain't real, y'all. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'll go into that later for sure. You guys will get a full history lesson from me. You best believe it. Don't let me start singing um, Once Upon a December. Oh, hmm. That was my um, alarm in the morning for the longest time. <laughs> of course it was. Mm-hmm. Why am I... Isn't that a great... It's Isn't great. that a great alarm, it's though? It's so you. It's so you. Isn't it, though? Isn't it, though? Like, who else would wake up to haunting music like that song? <laughs> I love that song. No, stop. I did. I did. I ever tell you that I saw the the lady who is the the voice, well, the singing voice of Anastasia. I was gonna say um, the speaking voice her. is Meg Ryan. I know she didn't sing it. No, 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 no. I saw the the singing voice. I saw her live in concert at Yuletide in Indianapolis several years ago. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And she sang that song, and it made my entire life complete. Yay! Good. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
there's a whole other story about something else coming full circle with that, but I'll tell that some other time. Um, talking about 40s versus 2023, um, do you remember in the movie when, you know, the kid is like, I really want this fire engine. It has mm-hmm. a working hose, but I promise I won't use it inside, only outside. <laughs> yes. I promise. And and so Chris is like, no, 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 they have them over it. I don't remember where, but he's like, it's uh, only eight fifty. It's a wonderful bargain, right? Eight bucks and fifty cents in nineteen forty six for this working fire engine. I'm like, how much is that? How much would that now? Be today? I'm gonna say thirty six. Nope. You want to know what the answer is? Oh uh, no, it's gonna make me sad. A hundred and seventeen oh four. No. Yep. Yep. With inflation, an $8.50 fire engine would be $117 today. And really, I feel like that's on the low end. It would probably be more like $125. And then, like, if it's a Black Friday sale, they might mark it down to $99. But, yeah. I hate this world. $125 fire engine is what this kid wants for Christmas. (laughs) I hate it here. I'd be like, no, Timmy. You're... You're gonna get. I would have been a mad mom. I'm like, Santa, are you serious? Are you right? serious? I'm like, Tim, I'm gonna have to list it on Facebook Marketplace now. Oh, <laughs> gonna have to start selling feet pictures. <laughs> Thanks, Santa. Ma'am. <laughs> but Christmas theme with tinsel and bows. It'll be real cute. Get a, panic- a pedicure. Uh, mm-hmm. <sniffs> Ma'am, no. Ma'am, yes. No. Like, I will have you... <laughs> oh, I will have you selling Pampered Chef before anything like that happens. <laughs> I wouldn't even buy the truck at that point. I'd be like, nah, kid, you're gonna want <laughs> some, some, some Walmart version. Like, the girl's getting a computer. <laughs> uh Okay, what else did I want to bring up to you? This is bringing um, that the oh! Batman joke of Walmart. I gotta stop. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. I did too until you said something. That was all people would text me for like weeks after listening to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Oh, that and peanut butter licking fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's still my favorite joke. That one got me so good. Oh, uh, I'm proud of myself for that one. Um, okay. I had another tidbit I wanted to tell you about the movie. Um, I want to make you guess, but I think I'm just going to tell you. I found out this movie was released nowhere around Christmas time. Because of course not. No, because of course not. This movie was released in May of 1947 because the studio had argued that more people went to the movies during the summer. I mean, that's correct. That's why it's a blockbuster. Um, yep. But And he was right. Droves of people went to see this movie, I even though it was a Christmas movie during the summer. I can't even begin to tell you all the, the laws and all the... I can't even begin... To go into the history of movie studios back in the day. It was unhinged. Hmm? Okay, now I want you to, like, give me, give me, like, a Cliff Notes version. No, don't give me, don't give me a Cliff I can't Notes even, version. Give me, like, I can't, a no, 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 because I gotta get notes together to even You can't try. just, like, leave me hanging on that. I want to know. I spilled the tea. 
what's the point of having a movie maker friend if you don't tell me the tea? I'm so sorry. Um, my brain is way too tired to give you any kind of cliff notes. I got to give you the whole story, nothing but the story. Remind <sighs> me when we do another black and white film. I will actually dive deep into that. Sweet. Okay. I'm going to, I'll put one on the book. The Maltese Falcon. I most. Ooh. I love that one. Have not seen that one in a long time. Or the OG Scarface. I don't even know where we'd find that. YouTube, probably. I know. Maltese Falcon, you can, I think I used to have it on Prime. I rented it at one point on Prime. We can talk about it too when we uh, hit 12 Angry Men. Oh, yes. You know, yes. That is an Mm -hmm. excellent movie. Mm -hmm. Hold on. Pause while I add this onto our podcast movie list so I don't forget. But please enjoy the sound of me typing. Got them on there. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Did you have any questions for me about this movie? I didn't. Um, my, you know, my usuals of what's your favorite scene, what's your favorite line, um, or favorite theme. Like, I didn't really have a favorite line per se, but I liked the discussion between um, Gailey and Kringle when he comes to visit him at the hospital. And, you know, he's like, you got to get me out of here. I believe in you. And I was like, ugh. There it is. The theme again, believing, mm. you know, the way he believes he's Santa. Santa believes he's going to get him out. Of just the staring at him with just, with just love mm-hmm. and hope in his eyes. Like, you're going to represent me, right? I believe you. I believe in you. I believe you can. It's so sweet. Just, oh, and I loved that theme over innocence. and over again. It just comes over and over again. And obviously that's the major plot point of this film is just, again, believing. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I really liked that. Wes's favorite character characters are the judge and his um his like campaign organizer Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know the guy that's like giving him advice the whole time and he's like you want to get reelected right this case is trash if you want to get (laughs) reelected and it's just giving him pointed nods the whole time during the court proceedings and i absolutely love it it's it they're they're funny but my Who's my favorite character? I don't know. My mom and I love um, Mr. Shellhammer's wife. Where he's like, we can, I'll convince her to, to let us ha- like have Chris stay with us. And we always have martinis before dinner. I'll make them double strength tonight. And then he calls her and he's like, I made the martinis triple strength. <laughs> and of she, course. somebody, somebody counted the toothpicks. So, so if you've got a triple strength martini, you should have three olives in it. She's got nine toothpicks next to her phone so she has had three triple strength martinis that sounds like a good time when she gets on the phone and my mom and i bust up every time when we hear her go hello (laughs) i that actually made me uh cackle a little bit not gonna lie (laughs) her soundbite just like lives in my head rent free just oh how silly of me darling hello i love her level of drunk it was great Right, like she'd be so so much fun to be friends with after three martinis. Oh, I think my favorite character was definitely um, Chris Kringle or Alfred or Gailey. I loved all three of them; they were my favorites. <laughs> I can't pick, okay? Hmm. Probably Chris Kringle. And I, I love that I... I love that we never find out if he actually is Santa or not. Like he he's Santa, but is he Santa? He could be Santa. Is he Santa? But that's not the point. That's the not point that's exactly right. Be. That's not the point. He could be Santa. There very well could be a real Santa because they get their house at the end. Like, and they left. Okay, actually, you know what? 
that's my question. What does that cane symbolize, right? Like, what could that cane, like, could he have left that there? Or is he leaving that? Did mm-hmm. he forget it there? Or is he, like, passing the torch to Gailey as, as Santa Claus? I don't oh, know. Oh, you saw it as a passing the torch thing? I, no, I, I, I think... sat and debated on it. I, I never came to the conclusion that that's what it was. I thought it, it, it was a mite. It could be. I think it's supposed to be there to tell them. Because, you know, it was I mean, you have, yeah, yeah, you have yeah. Susie doing a little kid thing and being like, no, this is the house I want. And I told Santa about it. So it's mine. And, you know, she runs in and everything. And and I think that it's supposed to be Chris's nod to Doris and to Fred that, like, no, Susie's not just being a little kid. No, this house really is right. for you guys. And if you had any doubt about that, I'm leaving my cane here because this is my gift from Santa right. to you. Is I really am, I really did find this house for you. And because because then Fred afterwards, you know, he starts bragging about himself. And he's like, you know, I take a little old man and I make the whole world believe that he really is. And he sees the cane. And it stops him in the middle of his bragging rant where he was starting to think that I did something so amazing. This was all me. I got this guy off the hook and people don't think he's crazy anymore. And then realizes that uh, maybe you didn't do diddly squat because the guy that you represented really is Santa Claus. (laughs) And that's why, that's what I, that's what I ended up coming to the conclusion of. But part of me is like, it's a little symbolic. It's symbolic a little bit. Mm. Also, him hitting the dude what? in the head with the cane. I was like, Santa, what are you doing, man, my guy? Yeah. You know what? I'm like, you know what? We need a little bit more of that in 2023 sometime. <laughs> Whack. After COVID, y'all need to get your attitudes together. Whack. Or we're going to start bopping you with canes. I, Whack. Like, we're going to have to go back to caning people when they act up. Okay? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm going to get an umbrella we to the back We are condoning of the knees, violence. Right now. No, actually not. <laughs> it's not violence. It is... Um, Punitive correction. Whack. <laughs> whack. I'm gonna get you a sweatshirt that just says whack with like a little Batman bang emojicon. No, it's gotta be a cane it, with a, a cane. with a Santa hat. No, 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 there, there will be a cane. Don't you don't you worry. <laughs> and it'll be on a Christmas sweater. <laughs> Speaking of which, I wore a Batman shirt with um one of my it's not a cardigan. Um, I guess a blazer, like a little mini blazer uh, at the hotel. Well, someone in the hotel, one of the workers saw me wearing it. Anytime he saw me over the week, he's like, da-na-na-na-na-na-na. I was like, Batman. Oh, my Lord. It was so funny. He was really sweet, though. Nerding out with the hotel people. As you should. That's how you get favors. I'm sorry. Complete side trail. Like, do you remember when you and I stayed at the hotel after we went to the Evanescence concert? And they got and mad at us. And room service. Sh- and that then was so they good. got mad at us. We, y'all, we literally had, like, the, the concierge or, or whatever, like, the courtesy people come knock on our door and tell us to keep it down. At, it was like a Friday night. A Friday was night at a normal talking level, by by the way. At a normal talking level. Like, what the heck? Like, now, you build your walls thicker. I don't know what to tell you. Let hotel. me say this, though. As someone who's frequently in hotels now, keep it down. I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> I don't care what day of the week it was. I don't care if you just saw a, cr- a concert. I don't care. Hush. Quiet. <laughs> I'm old now. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was not expecting you. I thought you were going to say something like, as someone who like frequently stays in hotels, I can tell you the walls are really thin and you can hear everything. Doesn't matter how loud you're talking. Nah, you full on just went, keep it down. Y'all loud. Oh, I love you. You were phenomenal. This is why I bring I earplugs <laughs> no matter where I go. When I travel, I got earplugs. Period. Ooh, I've learned my, my lesson. Canceling headphones. On the whole, I will say most places are actually pretty quiet, and they usually will accommodate people by putting them are not around where they know crowds will be, like post concerts and stuff. Because if we were in Minneapolis a few weeks ago, and there was a concert, our hotel is literally across from the Staples Center in Minneapolis, um, or what, whatever it was, it was a concert hall, and. Mm-hmm. Or not Staples, Target? Target Center, not Staples. Excuse me. And, um... Do you even know where you were? Yes, I was in Minneapolis, because it was loud. <laughs> um, and there was a concert that let out, and I was like, oh, here we go. It's already 11 o'clock at night. This concert's getting out, and I need to be up. <laughs> That's how you know you're old. I was gonna say, are you sure you're not 50? Shut up. I don't want to hear from you anymore. Because this Be whole quiet. conversation sounds like And that's like it 50. for uh, Cinematic Pulse this week. <laughs> Audrey is retiring and I'm quitting. <laughs> Only old people retire, Shuri. <sighs> well, and I'm going to stop this retire. recording right now. This no! is elderly, uh, elder abuse. <laughs> Get back here. We have to do our outro. <laughs> hmm. I guess I'll come back. Give me that pension. Oh. Hey, Shuri, what are we doing next week? We are doing my favorite Christmas film of all time, The Polar Express. Hot chocolate. Ooh, you got it. We got it. I love this movie. We Tom Hanks went all in, man. We started a tradition of watching this movie, I think in like elementary school my sister wanted to watch this movie on christmas eve she felt like it was like the perfect christmas movie to watch on christmas eve and have hot cocoa and open one christmas present and and i don't know like my family didn't always do it but i did because i'm like that is the perfect christmas tradition so shout out to my sister um it is the perfect christmas eve tradition so every year even with my husband we watch the polar express on christmas eve love it so that is what we're gonna be doing because next weekend is the weekend of christmas so we're going to be releasing an episode on Polar Express for you guys because it does not get more holiday Christmas magic than that. Yes, ma'am. Than Tom Hanks. <laughs> Tom Hanks playing five characters, maybe six. I don't remember. I'm going to have to double check. Playing all the characters. We'll have, I'll have to look it up. I'll give you the final number next week for sure. Um, all right. So that's a wrap for us. Uh, that concludes our episode on Miracle on 34th Street. Like we said, next week in the spirit of Christmas, we're going to be talking about the Polar Express. So make sure to be back here next Friday to tune in. Roll credits. Cinematic Pulse is edited and produced by Cherie Jackson. The episodes and theme are written and performed by yours truly. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and you can find Cinematic Pulse on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Please consider supporting us by becoming a member of our Patreon, where you can get access to show notes, vote on our upcoming episodes, and get exclusive downloads of our episode art. Thank you so much for listening, because we just checked your Cinematic Pulse. Cinematic Pulse.